I was averaging like 200, $2,250 per month from my rental income. And that doesn't include, you know, what I was contributing on top of that. So basically I did the math and just with that $2,250 that I was getting from my rent, my 30 year mortgage now morphed to a four year mortgage. Welcome to the house hacking success podcast, where you'll learn the path to free rent and financial freedom through real estate. Featuring your hosts, Brad Labrie and Drew Klingler. Welcome to House Hacking Success. I'm your host, Brad Labrie. Drew, how are you doing today? I'm good, Brad. I'm doing good. How are you? I'm doing great, man. We had Courtney Chase on the podcast, which was absolutely amazing. She house hacked in Florida and then moved to Calgary, Canada. So we're going to talk about being a long distance real estate investor outside of the country. And then we go into in-depth focus on financial independence. They achieved financial independence in their early 30s, right? And how they went from a negative $100,000 net worth to over a million in just nine years. They have an incredible story, and I'm really excited for this podcast. It's a really good episode. Uh, She talks a lot about how there's these three expenses that you can really focus on to change to reach financial independence. She's going to cover those three in the episode. Uh, also, one of the coolest things that I think she did was track all of her expenses on a spreadsheet since 2009. And that's a really good habit to have if you want to reach financial independence. Absolutely. You'll learn all that and much, much more. Let's dive deep into this podcast. Hey, everyone. Real quick before we start the show, Brad wrote an amazing ebook that will teach you everything you need to know about house hacking and living rent free. To get a free copy, text house hack, all one word, to 22828. That's house hack all one word, to 22828 to get your free copy. Welcome to the show, Courtney. We're thrilled you're here. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I'm excited. So uh, before we get into your real estate journey and financial independence journey, which is super intriguing to us, I mean, you guys have uh, at such a young age built such a you know great uh, life together and then financially independent at 30 and 32, if I'm correct. Uh, but yeah. let's talk before we get into all that about your background, uh, working in energy industry and, and why you decided real estate. Yeah, sure. So then the ener- both both the energy and real estate just kind of fell into my lap, so to speak. I didn't really know what I wanted to do in school. I switched my major three times in college. I ended up getting my master's just to delay entering the work field workforce. Um, still trying to figure out what to do with my life. And um, while I was in my master's, there was a business rotation program that a couple different companies were offering, and that's what. Uh, I was interested in because, again, I still didn't really know what I wanted to do. But this rotation basically let me uh, try out different fields within the different businesses within a company. And the one, the first company that I applied for that had this program was an energy company. So that's how I ended up in the energy field um, was through this rotation program. I ended up enjoying it and have been, that was in 2009. So I've been doing this now for over 10 years. So um, it just kind of fell into my place. Like the other rotations, one was with a, an, an insurance company, one was with Texas Instruments. So like, I didn't know what I really wanted to do. And this just kind of happened. And now I can tell you anything you need to know about energy, even though like that was not really my background at all. Um, and similarly for real estate, um, when I moved to start this job, I was um, renting a two bedroom 
condo or apartment right across the street from where my building was. And I had a roommate. I was still living the, you know, quote unquote, frugal college lifestyle and you know, had a roommate because I had had roommates for years at that point. And I just figured, why not continue on and cut costs? And um, my my landlord was looking to increase rent for the following year. So that got me thinking and I started looking and I saw that the exact same unit, two buildings down, these were all individually owned condos and the exact same unit, two buildings down um, was being rented out for almost $400 less than what she was looking to bump the rent up to. So I was like, well, that doesn't really make much sense. So I literally like with some friends, like we got a moving dolly and just pushed things over like two buildings (laughs) down and boom, I just saved, you know, close to when we split it, you know, it was close to $200 a month in rent that I was saving. And then from that apartment, um, the, the landlord you could tell was clearly like not very involved and letting things kind of fall apart, so to speak. And there was a flood from someone in the unit, two stories above me and gravity naturally brought this flood like down into my first floor apartment. And she didn't really want to do anything about it. And it was like basically telling the condo board to deal with it. And like, I'm, stuck living in it, right? While all this is going back and forth. And there was the potential for mold and, you know, all this stuff was happening and brewing over the course of a couple of weeks that I'm like, I need to figure something out. And it it was right around this point that I had just finished paying off my student loans. And I was like, okay, I need to figure out what to do next. You know, like I was so used to just funneling a whole bunch of money towards my student loans. I was like, just hacking that in a sense, like just throwing so much at my student loans. Then now I'm like, okay, I now have a down payment's built up. And this was in 2011, 2012, right. You know, during the recession and everything. And that's when I really started looking at real estate to buy something of my own. Cause I was dealing with a poor situation with the landlord. Mm-hmm. And so that that's what led me to purchase my place. And it was a short sale and I got a really good deal on it. And I ended up renting out, um, it was three bedrooms plus, I guess you would call it a basement. It was in Florida. So we don't really have basements there, but the first floor was what you would think of a basement, just like a big room. And then you go up to the second floor and that was like your main living area with kitchen living room. And then the third floor was all the bedrooms. So I rented out the two other bedrooms upstairs and the quote unquote basement on the first floor and was able to pay off our mortgage in two and a half years that way. So it was just kind of like a natural progression to do that. Um, I think just always from having roommates since college, continuing on while I was renting with, with roommates, it just like made sense to me to continue to have roommates and pay off my mortgage. This was before house hacking was a term, you know, (laughs) like it, but it just kind of made sense to me. Like, why wouldn't I do this? And then you know, I did the math. I'm like, it's only going to take a couple of years. And then if I want to keep having roommates, I can. And then that's just extra money in the bank at that point. And it's or kind of like, I, I don't like, need to. Like you said, it's kind of a natural progression, given the fact that you did it all through college. Right. And it's kind yeah. of like, you know, what, you know, and then afterwards it and that's a lot of people's stories like, you know, right out of college. Like, why not just have roommates? But I own the property. Exactly. Exactly. It's like I always had roommates in college. Everything was fine some roommates you get along better with others. Like that, that's natural, I think, but like you don't need to be their best friends. You know, if mm-hmm. when you become the landlord, like you just want to make sure they're everything's, you know, smooth and you're getting paid on time. Right. right. Like, right. so it just seemed so natural to me. Like, 
in, in my master's, for example, like I was subletting a room out or I was subleasing a room that one of my friends was subletting to me and it ended two or three months before my master's was up. And one of my best friends that I've known for like, since I was two, like known her my whole life, she was also there. And I reached out to her and was like, Hey, can I, I know this is weird, but like, can I, uh, rent a place from like with you, but even she was in a two bedroom, but it was being rented out. So I'm like, can I just like crash like on your couch or, you know, something for the couple months. And she ended up, we ended up sharing like the same bed for two months, like with one of my best friends that I grew up with. And hearing that it sounds like so strange, like who would do that? But like, to me, I'm just like, it's only for two months, you know, and then I'll, you know, be on my merry way. And we were on very different sleep schedules. So like, you know, I was going to bed way earlier and waking up way earlier than her. So it wasn't weird. Like it sounds weird, but it was just like, that was just like my thoughts all throughout this whole process is like, you know, how to hack the housing, how to hack life, essentially, you know, like it wasn't just the housing, it was travel, it was everything. And it all just kind of morphed into this like financial independence piece that I'm like, now is this movement, which I'm so happy to be a part of, right? Yeah. It's like, it's, it's so great to now see like where all of this momentum's going. It's like, now I found my people, you know? <laughs> right. But, but at its natural beginning, you know, like it was just a part of who you are. And, yeah. you know, we hear the story, like I had no idea that there was a, a term house hacking or, or financial independence, but it was, it was just always kind of, I've always been naturally frugal, similar to kind of what you guys live. And you just kind of felt like, Hey, I've already had roommates. Like what's the difference now? I just own the property and I live for free. Right. And yeah, I exactly. Control the property. Exactly. The control was the big thing. It was both of those. Exactly. It was like, I might as well keep renting, but now I have control over it. So like, if I want to, you know, install a new microwave, like I'm going to do it because it's now mine and I can take pride and ownership in that new microwave or, you know, whatever it may be versus like having to go through the motions of, Hey, you know, I think we really need a new microwave. What do you think? Is it in the budget? You know, like you just go and do it. (laughs) Right. You don't need permission. Right. (laughs) Exactly. Uh, So could we backtrack a little bit and talk about how you found that first house hack and how you founded it? Sure. So I was naturally just used to pouring my money at something. I wasn't really a big spender. It was more, you know, I'm very debt averse. So it was crushing the student loans. So I had $65,000 in student loans to my name. I ended up paying them off in two and a half years. So it ended up being a total of $70,000 after the accrued interest. And right around that point is when I was going through those headaches, like I mentioned with my past landlord. And this was all back in, I started my job in 2009. So I see in South Florida, which is getting crushed with the foreclosures and, you know, my parents went through it, you know, it, it definitely was devastating for the people on the opposite side of things. And I saw that, but then I also saw, you know, that there was this opportunity that, you know, these homes are literally half the price of what they were less than 10 years ago. So it just like made sense to me of like, if I can afford it, like I should be getting in on this. So then my next step was just to start saving up for a down payment. And originally I was looking for like two, two condos that were in like the hundred thousand dollar range. Um, and that was kind of my, my first thought. And I went and saw a couple places. I looked online on MLS and got a realtor and was looking at a couple places. And then I was like, you know, I really think like if I can get something bigger and rent it out, I can get more roommates and it's going to pay off itself, even though I'm paying a little bit more upfront. If I can get more roommates, like it's just 
again, seemed like a natural thing to do. So there was this one um, neighborhood in particular that I really like, like they were relatively newer. They were built in 2006 and this was in 2012 that I ended up buying. So they were six year old properties. And so this particular unit that I bought, it was originally $335,000 brand new in 2006 when the first owner bought it. It then went through a short sale and it was put up for $169,000. And that's what I bought it for. And it was almost 2000 square feet. It was just under 2000 square feet. It was three bedrooms, three full bedrooms, plus that quote unquote basement in the, on the bottom. Um, so I was able to rent out those three additional rooms anywhere from $650 to $900 per month. The basement was a lot bigger. It's like probably 400 square feet just for that room, um, had a bathroom attached and everything. So I was averaging like $2,250 per month from my rental income. And that doesn't include, you know, what I was contributing on top of that. So basically I did the math and just with that $2,250 that I was getting from my rent, my 30 year mortgage now morphed to a four year mortgage. And that was without me putting anything into it. And then I was contributing about a thousand dollars a month myself. And then one Nick, my now wife, but at that time, um, girlfriend moved in. She was there for, I think about a year or so until the mortgage was paid off. And she contributed about $650 when she moved in. So with all of that, we were able to pay off the mortgage in two and a half years. And then, yeah. And then we moved to Canada and we decided to hold on to the unit now that it was paid off and we rented it out to an entire family and they were great. Like he was, the the husband was super handy. He was a maintenance manager. So like he understood, you know, how to take care of things and stuff. Like he would, you know, message me and say, you know, this broke, um, are you okay if I go get it and you I'll deduct, you know, the cost of it and I'll just install it for free. I'm like, yes, of course, go for it. You know, they were like super nice, super friendly. Um, and so we had them for about, two years and we were netting after all expenses, you know, property taxes, we had high HOA, you know, insurance, we were netting about $900 a month from them. So over those two years, we netted about another $22,000 just from renting the unit out. And at that point, we could tell like some of the more major things were starting to go like air conditioner, some of the bigger things that like we were getting a little weary of. Um, We did have uh, insurance with American Home Shield, which I would highly recommend, um, especially if you're far away. Like at this point now, I'm literally across the continent from Florida to Calgary. <laughs> so I couldn't, I wasn't around, you know, to help out with things. Um, but it, I think, I, don't quote me on this, but I believe it was uh, $50 a month for the insurance and then covered multiple things like different services and parts, um, you know, fridge, dishwasher, dryer, uh, electrical things. And if you needed to use their service, you paid like a flat $75 fee for them to come and fix it. However much it actually ended up costing, like it only costs you $75. I might have those slipped. It might be 75 a month and you pay the $50 fee, but whatever it was, it was relatively cheap. So we had that um, and it was fine, but I was just starting to feel a little like out of place. Like that control piece was Mm-hmm. dissipating, you know? Mm-hmm. So we ended up selling it in 2017 after two years of renting it out. And now looking back on it, of course, I'm like, oh, I should have held on to that. You know, like I would have kept getting the $900 a month. Um, I looked it up. So we, we sold it for $270,000. 
So we made after closing costs, it was about 240 net. So we bought it for 169. So when you include all three things, renting it out to the roommates while we were living there, renting it out for two years completely as a, a single unit, and then the proceeds from the sale, we netted almost $250,000 from that one, one unit. It's like $246,000. So that like greatly, you know, propelled our path to financial independence just from that one unit. And then essentially that paid for our brand new Canadian townhouse when we bought our place in 2016. So yeah. So now like we don't have to worry about housing at all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, so, so let's transition there a little bit with the uh, financial independence. You guys reached that in 2018, right? Yeah. Uh, and you guys have built over a million dollar net worth. Um, talk about that journey and kind of what the you know essence of the financial independent movement is. Sure. It's like, in essence, it's just freedom. Like that to sum up in one word, it's freedom. And it's essentially designing a life that where your actions align with your values. So you need to figure out what you value, not what society tells you you should value, but what you actually value. And that's what you spend your money on. Whatever, like, I can't tell you what that is, right? Like everyone's values are different. So for me, for example, we enjoy spending time outside in nature, which happens to be free for the most part, going for a walk or a hike. We go skiing, that has a cost, but we value it, right? So it's essentially just figuring out, you know, how to live life on your terms, not on what society tells you. It's, you know, we're driven by in this world of overconsumption. We're getting marketing and advertising just thrown in our faces all the time from billboards to TV ads, you know, you name it, like it's happening like all the time. And it's just, it's just realizing like buying things doesn't necessarily lead to happiness. Some things do, of course, but not all the things that are thrown in our face. So it's, it's really just figuring out what makes you happy and spending your money on that. And then once you figure that out, like we figured out like a happy life doesn't have to be all that expensive. Like for us, for example, we spend about $25,000 a year for our family of three to live what we consider a very normal, happy life. But, you know, some people looking in may be like, how can you only spend that money? And we've just realized like, you know, we will spend money on say annual passes to National, the national parks or to a ski hill or to the science center or to the zoo, you know, the sports center, you know, name it. Like we're doing things, but like we're not spending money on a brand new car. We're not spending money on fancy restaurants, you know, like those things just don't bring us value. So we don't spend our money there. And it's just being able to design life this way that, you know, it makes us fulfilled in a way beyond measure, because now we don't even have to worry about money. So like there's a stress level that's like just eliminated. You know, so many people are living paycheck to paycheck or, you know, have a very small emergency fund. Like we don't, we don't even look when payday is like, I couldn't even tell you like when that is, you know, I don't have to worry about that. Cause I know our expenses are way lower than what we need to ever worry about in life. And we don't feel deprived. And that's the thing that I align most with the financial independence movement is living on purpose, Mm -hmm. you know, because there are a lot of people to go out to eat every, you know, Friday night or whatever and and spend, you know, whatever it is at a high end restaurant. Uh, But like at the end of the day, that doesn't really bring them fulfillment and they don't even know what does. Right. Uh, And I think the, the biggest thing of the whole movement is the fact that, like, figure that out first. 
Right. Like, you know, put a priority list. Maybe it, maybe going out to eat is that thing for you. But all these other things that you're spending in consumption, like you said, or things that society says you should have, right? Those are pulling, you know, there's always an equal and opposite reaction. And so every time you, you know, consume something over here, you're losing, you know, another part of yourself over here, right? Exactly. Or it takes some something over here. When you buy a new vehicle, you probably aren't going to be able to travel the world like you thought you might want to, right? Especially right. When you're starting out and you're not making, you know, a ton of money in your career, whatever it is. Exactly. Exactly. It's like what I, what I suggest to people is write down the list of 10 things over the course of a week that truly make you happy. Like what are those 10 things that whether it's, you know, sleeping, having a morning coffee, going for a run, you know, I don't know, you come up with your list, right? And that's what you should be focusing on. Everything else is just fluff, like cut out the fluff, cut out the things that society is telling you you should be spending your money on, like focus on those 10 things that you really value. And everyone, like you said, everyone's is going to be different, right? I can't tell you what yours are, but you just need to value, like find out your why, like to your point, like that's so important. Like figure, for us, it's like spending time as a family, having the time to spend as a family. So that's what we do is we spend time together as a family. Like some people want to travel the world. Some people want to have like a $200,000 car. Like that's fine. I'm not telling you what to do, but like prioritize that then, right? Like figure out a way to make that happen, whatever your why is. So you often say that, uh, for people to reach financial independence, they have to focus on their three highest expenses. What are those three expenses and how can people optimize those? So typically most people's top three expenses are housing, food, and car. And so housing, we kind of talked about that, you know, whether house hacking can look like so many different things, right? And I'm sure you guys have covered all different facets here on your podcast, but whether it's you owning a place and you renting out the rooms, or rather than having a one bedroom that you're renting, you instead rent a two or three bedroom and have roommates and cut down your rental costs or buy a duplex or a fourplex or apartments or storage facility, like you name it, like there's all different ways to, to ha- hack, right? And so that's, huge. Like if you can eliminate your housing expense, like that's typically what 30% of your monthly budget, like that's gone. Right. So that's 30% that you can now throw to your savings and invest that money instead. And now you have a 30% savings rate and you can go look on, you know, Mr. Money Mustache, the simple path, the simple math to, you know, reaching financial independence and boom, like you've just shaved off years of your working life. Right. Um, then typically the next one is um, transportation and food. So for transportation, like we, for example, we drive a $6,000 uh, 2013 Subaru legacy. Like we, we have one car, we're a one car family. My wife doesn't work anymore. I work part-time. I, I'm at the office 20% of the, the year. I'm at home 80% of the time. So we don't need two cars. Like some people do, um, you know, most people do, but, um, you know, we never have bought a brand new car ever. Um, we bought, you know, used low mileage, reliable vehicles. And there's so many out there that you can find for well under $10,000. Like I'd say $7,500 and under, you can easily find a, a good car that will last you some time. You save up for that. And now boom, you don't have a monthly car payment. You know, you're used to like, you talk to your friends and the Joneses and everyone next door, they just bought this brand new, you know, whatever at a price tag of $40,000. And now they're stuck with $600 car payments for five years. Well, you don't have to do that. Like you can, but you definitely don't have to. So if you can eliminate, you know, that large transportation expense too, and realize like a car is just meant to get you from A to B, that's essentially what its role is. Sure. It can have fancy, 
fancy gadgets and all this technology built in, but like, it's not necessary. It's not needed. You know, we think it is, but think back 10 years ago, was your car perfectly fine working without, you know, Bluetooth and, you know, whatever, you know, Wi-Fi enabled. Yes. You got from A to B, like you still can get from A to B in a 10 year old car. So it's just realizing, you know, again, advertising marketing tells us like, Oh, we need these things now because they're available. Like we don't need them. Like, so figuring that out, right? And then food is the third one. Like we pretty much eat at home 95% of the time, I would say. My wife really enjoys cooking. I'm really odd and I really enjoy cleaning. So like we have a good uh, combination here where she likes to try out new recipes. I will eat whatever she makes and then I'll clean it, no problem. So, you know, we still go out, but it's maybe only once or twice a month maybe. And it tends to be for foods that we can't, make at home or haven't figured out how to make at home. Most of the time it's more like ethnic foods that we really enjoy, but like we just don't have the ingredients available or, you know, whatever the case may be, or try out a new restaurant in town, but it's more of a treat that way versus, you know, if you go out to lunch every day for, at work, like you don't view it as a treat. You just view it as normal. Like, oh, I need to go out to eat and you go to Wendy's or RV's or whatever. And you don't realize you're dropping $15 every time you do that. Instead, you can make a meal that's just as fulfilling for two or three dollars you know it's it's again it's that mindset shift of understanding like you get into this trap of what becomes normal and you just assume it's normal but it doesn't have to be normal so if you yeah. can figure out you know those three things then you know if you want to go have a spa day for a hundred dollars or if you want to go get that latte and enjoy it but again like as a treat like with a friend not like a normal mundane, got to go to the drive-through just to wake up type of thing. But if it's something more valued as a treat and like a specialty, I guess, then you, you enjoy it more because it's not your everyday routine and you don't become so accustomed to it. Yeah. And I think the great paradigm shift I had in my life was the, you know, differentiating the fact that fixed expenses are the, you know, attacking your fixed expenses are the fastest way to achieve financial independence or become yeah. wealthy. Right. Yeah. And, you know, uh, you know, rather than variable. And so growing up like Dave Ramsey is, of course, you know, a very popular person. And I, you know, I agree with a lot of the things that he says, but most of it surrounds your variable. Right. Like mm -hmm. not not going out for coffee uh, and some of these things, which are good things. Um, but like those represent such a small percentage of your total expenditures exactly. where, you know, attacking your housing, like we're talking about on this show with you and others, uh, you know, that represents 30 to 40%, you know, at, mm -hmm. at, at least at, at many cases of your uh, total you know, income and then uh, cars, right? A lot of people, you know, think of that as kind of a fixed or a fixed expense, right? You know, like your monthly payment and we're so accustomed to viewing finances through, you know, what you can afford and monthly payments and stuff. But like, that's a big chunk. That's 50%. If you can attack those two things, exactly. you can drive a cash vehicle and you eliminate your housing expense. That's 50% you're saving every month. Right. So then go get that coffee, go get that $3 coffee. Yeah. That doesn't mean anything in the realm of saving thousands when you're talking about your housing and your exactly. transportation, right? Like, like exactly. It's like, if you can figure out how to crush those two things, I mean, throw food in there and you get three things there then it's like, go live your life. Like go do what you want to do. We're not saying like you have to live this deprived life, right? Like right. go crush those fixed expenses, go figure out how to hack them. Traveling too, like go figure out how to travel hack. Like we're huge into travel hacking. Like we've been to 25 countries along this journey. So it's not like we're not doing anything. We've just figured out how to optimize them mm -hmm. the best way to like 
still enjoy life along the way, but have a 70% savings rate. And like, it doesn't make sense to most people. Most people don't get it, right? But if you can focus on these fixed things, you just went like from what you said, 50% of what you think are fixed expenses now to zero. So now you just boom, have a 50% savings rate. And like you said earlier, all it came down to was you figuring out what actually mattered to you, you know, Mm -hmm. because there, if you don't figure it out, there's a uh, Grant Cardone has a book and um, it's called Seller Be Sold. And, you know, the book isn't that important, but the concept was of the fact that either you're going to sell your own life or the great marketers and salesmen of this world are going to sell you on what you should have in your life. Right. And like, it was just a great concept when I read it in that context of like, you know, if I don't purposefully do what I want to do with my life, like other people are going to tell me what I should. And it's so true. I see it every day, right? People are constantly trying to tell other people what they should do, what, you know, how they should live, the car they should drive, the house they should have, the neighborhood they should live in, right? All these different things, you know, the the concerts and all these entertainment things. Uh, If you don't sell your own life, you don't sell yourself on your own life and what you want, someone else. Exactly. Exactly. And like, that's the problem, I guess, with society that we live in today is like, everyone's comparing themselves to others, right? And so you talk to your coworkers, you talk to your friends, you talk to your family, they're all doing these things because it's like this quote unquote competition that we live in. Like we have to one up each other for whatever reason. But if you can like step back from that and realize like, just because my neighbor's doing that or just because my coworker drives this car doesn't mean I have to. Like they can, sure. But like that doesn't make me any less of a person because I drive, you know, say, a 10 year old Corolla versus a brand new SUV. Like if that brings you value, sure. But like chances are it probably doesn't, but because we see all these influences from marketing, from consumerism, come from advertising, from our neighbors, you know, but then you, you take a step back and you realize like they're financing all these things. Like they're swimming in debt. They're living paycheck to paycheck. Like they can't afford it. So like, they're not like they're putting not I'm saying they as you know general right, right? like they are putting on this like show of the, what that you think reality is but then you step back and peel the layers and you're like oh it's not really as like you know rosy as it comes off as you know and, and same thing with like social media you could say the same thing right like everyone posts like their best picture of their best day ever it's like that's not normal everyday life. Like people cry, people have emotions, you know, like that's not what's being shown on social media. So it's the same exact thing. But like to that point, you know, social media can be such a bad thing because of that. Like you see like these, all these highlight reels and then you compare your real life to it. And then you get caught up in all that and you feel like you need to compare. But I feel like the spinoff is like the positive to it is like, there's all these podcasts being created now there's blogs and there's, you know, debt-free community, Instagram groups, you know, that are being created where people are able to connect on this positive side. And you're seeing, you know, more information being shared like this, you know, where it's like, Oh, okay. Like this can, this is possible. Like we can twist our, our thinking of how we should be thinking for life. And like, there's other people doing it too. And they're living a normal, happy, a quote unquote, normal, happy life, right? Like mm-hmm. there's no normal, right? Everyone creates their own normal, but you know, it, it's possible to do all these things. It's just that mindset shift. Mm-hmm. Love it. At the end comes down to like who you surround yourself with, right? Yeah. On, on the day to day, because, you know, at work or normal, you know, normal life, everyone else is, you know, consuming and buying new vehicles and all this stuff. And contentment plays a big role in it. And if you're going to succeed over a long period of time, you have to align yourself with people that 
value some of the same things as you do. And of course, you yeah. know, you and your wife are a great team. You guys have aligned on those things, but additional friendships and things like that, you have to be very mindful of that. Exactly. That exactly. Yeah. Just the point on like cars too. Um, it's a big shift on like when I was younger, I'd look at someone in a cool car and be like, Oh, it'd be so cool to have that Corvette or that sports <laughs> car. And now I look at it and I'm like, I really don't envy that car payment. <laughs> exactly. And, it, and it's not so much envying having that car, but it's, and being not having that car payment now. And it's really big shift right there. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you have to figure that out. Like you can read all about it and you could talk about it, you know, extensively, but until you have that like aha moment, like that's when it really clicks and you're like, okay, like I don't need to be spending my money on things or there's other ways that I can optimize my expenses. So that way I can spend on something that is more expensive, but like say for housing, if I've reduced my housing expense to zero, I now free up that what was an expense to now spend on something else that actually brings me more value. You know, it's just like figuring out that mindset shift. That's what this is all about. It's all about, you know, spending less than you earn. And that's, way easier said than done. You know, like what, like you can earn $25,000, you can earn a hundred thousand dollars that it doesn't necessarily mean the person with a hundred thousand dollars is wealthier. The person who's wealthier is the person who's saving more, right? Like right. you can spend all $100,000 very easily, but that's, so that doesn't mean you're wealthy. Like it means you have a high income, but it doesn't mean you have a high net worth. And there's a definite def- difference between the two. So, uh, so you went from negative hundred K to over a million in net worth in just nine years. Could you tell us how you did that and what got you there? Yeah. So this was all before financial independence was even a thing, right? So back in 2009 is when this all, this journey, I guess you could say kind of started. And so I had in total $70,000 in student loan debt. My wife had 40 of her own. And so originally, like I said earlier, the plan was just crush that student loan debt. I didn't know a thing about investing. I didn't know what I was doing in that area, Um, but I just knew I had this debt and I was like, we need to get rid of this. So um, my wife, she ended up going back to school for a second degree and was in school a little longer than me. So I had paid off um, my student loans right around when she was finishing school. And she was very much aligned with the same sort of values again, this was before like fire financial independence was a thing. It just kind of made sense to crush any debt we had. So that was step number one. And then it, it really all started from traveling really for us. We just, we enjoyed traveling a lot. And so we learned, I learned through a coworker, this thing called travel hacking. It was, again, it wasn't called travel hacking then. It was just like, Hey, there are these credit cards out there. You can sign up and, you know, the basis of travel hacking, what it is today, you get these points and then you can go travel for free. That was what, there was no term for it, right? So you just have these discussions. And so then I started accumulating all these points and we were traveling everywhere. And we basically realized like what we were doing is we both work shift work. So we had really odd schedules that allowed for a lot of time off over the year. So we would you know, spend a month, say, planning for our next trip while we were working, let's say. And then for two weeks, we would go and travel. So it was this this cycle where like our time and effort was all based around traveling, planning for the next trip, researching for the next trip, researching for the next credit card, working on that spend, tracking your expenses is huge, making sure, you know, you're aware of your spending and then going on that trip and then doing the same thing again and again and again. So our money was 
money, quote unquote, was being spent on traveling, but it was being funded through points. So we really weren't spending a lot of money over the years, but we were able to see the world, you know, for a fraction of the price of what you would spend. So then that around the time that I bought our house in 2012 is when I discovered Mr. Money Mustache through another one of my coworkers. And that's when everything really clicked. I was like, oh, okay. Like, these are my people, right? Like I get this. And I just went through the whole rabbit hole of his blog and then many other blogs in the FI community. And that's when I learned about like the investing side of things. I had been throwing about 10%, I guess, into my 401k while I was paying off my student loans, but I just picked a target date retirement fund. Like I didn't really know what I was doing. I mean, it ended up being a fine choice, but like I just picked something. And, but then when I learned about JL Collins and I read his stock series, this was before his book, The Simple Path to Wealth was out. I read his whole stock series and was like, this makes sense to me. So then I was just investing everything, you know, maxing out my 401k and my IRA and the HSA while I was down in the States. Now they're different vehicles up here, but similar idea, you know, tax advantage accounts and, you know, just putting investing as much as I could. And we all have seen what has happened here over the last 10 years. And this bull run has just taken off. And to be honest, I'm a bit weary of it. So I say we've reached FI, but like, I want to see what happens in the next year to be like, are we still financially independent? Like what's going to be going on here? You know, hopefully fingers crossed, you know, keeps going up, but you never know. But anyways, over the 10 years, you know, we're just funneling money at that point into the investments and I'm more of a fan of the passive investing side of things. Like I learned when we moved up to Canada that I didn't really enjoy being a landlord from far away. And up here in Canada, it's very different. Like you don't really, like the 1% rule does not exist up here. Like we couldn't really do what we did in Florida. Um, It's just a different structure. Like foreclosures just aren't a thing here Um, or or really any like good deals. Like our place that we bought, for example, for $315,000 Canadian, we could rent for maybe 16 or $1,700. So like the rent to buy is just, it just doesn't make sense really up here. Um, And I didn't want to be a landlord from far away. You know, if I would, I'd be probably buying stuff in Alabama right now or wherever, you know, do your research, you know, pick a place. I personally just don't have like that control factor is just too strong for me to like want to keep being a landlord. So instead I shifted over to passive um, investing in, in low cost index funds. And that's been our strategy kind of ever since, you know, we paid off this mortgage is our Canadian home is basically accounted for because of the sale of our Florida townhouse. And then everything else has just been funneled into our investments. And it's just, accelerated over the years compound interest really is you know the eighth wonder of the world it's very 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 true like if you asked me years ago i would have guessed 2023 is when we would have reached our fi number and here we are it was the end of 2019 that i logged in i was like oh wow like we we are there and this is for our family of hopeful four we reached our number for our family of three back in 2018 we're hoping to become a family of four in the near future. And so we I've still been working with that in mind, you know, higher expenses when there's a second baby. And we've reached that number in 2019, like years ahead of schedule. So it's just like the power of compounding, the power you learn that like, like I said earlier, happy life doesn't have to be that expensive. So like you can and your earning potential pretty much grows over the years. But if you don't let lifestyle creep impact you, you're in your uh, savings rate just increases, then you throw that into investments, whatever they may be, whether it's real estate, stocks, you know, you name it. And like, it's, it's 
doable. Like it's so doable. Like you just need to, again, it's just about that mindset and not letting lifestyle creep impact you. Absolutely. Absolutely. So you guys are millionaires now, right? But yes. you talked about earlier, alluded to the fact that you, you base annually, you spend less than $25,000 a year, right? Yeah. What yeah. does frugal really mean to you? And like, how can people apply it to their lives and live a more fulfilling life? We talked a little bit about this, but like, what advice would you give to people that are trying to go down the path of house hacking or financial independence? Like we talked about the why, like speak to how people can be a little bit more like you guys are and reach independence in such a fast pace. Yeah. So two big things come to mind is being mindful, like we said before, but like, how do you become mindful? Like you need to read, like you need to read about financial independence. You need to read about house hacking. You need to read about travel hacking. Like this is all like learned knowledge. Like I didn't go to school for any of this, right? Like this all just, I read about it. I talked to coworkers about it and I learned about it. So frugality to me really is like a con. I like to consider ourselves valueists, which I can call like a combination of being frugal, minimal, and mindful. Like that's how I would describe it. So it's not just the frugal piece of things. It's more, you know, the combination of being frugal is twofold. It's folded into like being aware of what you're spending money on and knowing that, you know, you don't have to buy things brand new. There are so many secondhand things, be it a car, like we talked about before, or clothes, you know, you, you name it, like furniture that you can buy secondhand that are likely in very good shape. Like you might need to search for it a little bit, but like there's so many things out there that you can buy for a fraction of the price, like literally like 90% off for a fraction of the price and that are just as good quality just because someone doesn't want it. Like they're moving on to the next fashion trend. Well, that's your, you take that to your advantage. And then you're also helping out the environment in the process where you're keeping things out of the landfill. You know, you're keeping things uh, in use rather than going into the garbage and, you know, just going into the ocean or whatever the case may be. So like that side of things also is powerful is realizing like you're helping the environment. You know, there's so many more things you can do to help the environment, but this is just one way that you can do that. And it's realizing, you know, that again, like a happy life doesn't need to be expensive. Like once you realize that, like I, I can only say that so many times, right? But like once you realize that, like that's when your mind shift, mindset shift will click and you're like, okay, like I can still spend money, but I just need to spend it on things that I value. And that's the biggest thing. So the, the from a financial standpoint, I would say track your expenses like to the penny, like literally to the penny. Like I don't use any apps like you need a budget or mint or personal capital. Those are all fine, like nothing against them. But I just use a simple Excel spreadsheet where I have a column for expenses, a column for income. I put the date, what it was and what it costs for each thing. And then it just sums up everything at the end of the month. And that's all I've done. I have it a tab, one tab for every month since January of 2009, I've been doing this. So that's the only thing that I've been doing like from a financial standpoint, but like just that simple step of tracking your expenses is really, really powerful. It sounds so simple and it sounds like something you can brush off and be like, oh, I don't need to do that. But like just going back in and seeing like, oh yeah, I spent this on this, whatever it may be. Like, it's just that click in your brain again. You're like, and then you, some things you think you're like, oh, like I don't even use that thing anymore two weeks later when you're, you know, updating your expense sheet, you know, whatever it may be. And you're like, that wasn't a smart purchase, you know, whatever it may be. And then you start to realize like that process in and of itself helps. And then it's just, you know, figuring out that this lifestyle that, you know, 
typically like most of society, like poo poos or, you know, whatever, you don't want to be called frugal, but really it's like, you're giving yourself freedom in the end of this. Like, so who doesn't want freedom by reaching financial independence, whether it takes five years and 10 years and you're super aggressive about it, even though I would not say like we were doing anything super aggressive, it just happened Mm -hmm. or it takes 20 years. You know, there's no timeline that it needs to take. It's just being more mindful of what you're spending, what you're doing with that excess, investing it some way, whether it's in housing or like we said, you know, housing or stocks or whatever it may be, but investing it, putting it to use for you, paying yourself first. That's the, the huge thing. And then you'll be reaping the, the rewards years down the road. And once you make that first $100,000 net worth mark, that's when you start to see this like snowball avalanche effect. Like the first 100000 is hard because it's, you know, you're grinding, you know, it's $100, $1,000, whatever. But then once you get compound interest working for you, like it's this amazing tool that you like, it just happens. It just naturally happens. And then your, your mindset has shifted where, again, like I said, I'm not even checking at this point to see like when our paycheck comes in, you know, like it's, it doesn't matter at this point. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're at this point where we're only spending $25,000. I work part-time. My wife doesn't work anymore. You know, we, we've created this life where we're home, like we're home and able to spend time together. And like, for us, like, that's what we want. So like, I'm very happy with the setup where we're at in our early thirties. And I don't think many people can say that. So I think for anyone listening, it's like, you don't have to view it as this grind. You don't have to view it as this deprivation. That's not what it is about. It is about a journey that you should be enjoying along the way. Absolutely. Sorry, that was a long, long-winded answer. That was great. <laughs> I really liked your point on uh, tracking your spending because it, it can be really eye-opening and it can really show you your spending habits that you didn't know you had. Like, oh, I spent yeah. this much on food. Like, how did that even happen? Well, I went out to lunch every day. Exactly. So, you know, that really starts to add up and it's stuff that you don't notice daily, but when you start to look at it monthly, it's really eye-opening. Um, so could you tell us about your long-term goals in financial independence and in life? Yeah, sure. So pretty simple. We'll keep traveling um, since that's definitely a passion of ours. It's very different with a child. <laughs> um, it's We can't be as uh, you know spontaneous, I guess, with things. We have to plan around naps and you know bedtimes mm-hmm. and everything. So it's very different, but we still definitely enjoy traveling. So we'll still keep travel hacking. Um, we're planning to spend a lot of our summers out whether it's camping or going out to Nick's family cabin, you know, being out in nature, that's like our game plan over the summers. And then the winters are just kind of up for um, up in the air, you know, up for discussion. We basically are planning to be here over Christmas in Canada. We like being like the winter vibe up here, but come January, like February, I'm ready for a little break. So uh, I think our plan will be, you know, for a month or two out of the year in the winter time, go somewhere warm. Um, whether it's down back down to Florida, you know, to visit some of my family and friends down there, or, you know, you name it, Mexico, Thailand, wherever, you know, go check out a different place, probably once a year, go to a different country. That's kind of our like year, yearly plan, I guess you could say, but it's really just, you know, being involved parents. That's like our long-term plan is, you know, being there for our daughter. And if we have a second kid, you know, for our second child and seeing these little milestones, like we're able, she doesn't go to daycare, you know, she's with us all day long, which has some pros and cons to it for sure. But like, we love it, you know, like it, it's taxing and it's wearing and it's very tiring, but like, we wouldn't trade it for the world. Like we get to see like 
her discover the moon for the first time, you know, little things like that, like that just brings so much joy to her. Like you don't even think of like the moon's the moon, but for her, like it's this brand new concept. And so being able to experience those things like firsthand is just, you can't even, you put a price tag to it. Right. And, but we want to be involved, you know, when she's in school, be involved parents at our school and help volunteer, be there for field trips, you know, bring her to and from school or walk her to the school bus, you know, whatever we end up doing that way, you know, help out with coaching, whatever sport she ends up pursuing or hobby, you know, whatever it may be, help out in whatever way we can there and coach as much as possible. We want to help teens and teach financial, financial literacy to teens through whether it's junior achievement or, you know, different boys and girls club, things like that. Like, I think it really needs to start at a younger age. Um, so really want to help out with that and be more involved with our Choose FI community here in Calgary. And we started our blog and our Instagram to just basically, you know, share the knowledge. Like we've done this, like it's replicable. Anyone can do this. So like, we're not these, like we are weirdos, but like anyone can do this really. Like it's just figuring out how to do it. Right. So we just want to teach more people really. And it's super, you know, inspiring to hear how mindful you guys are about your decisions. And that's really, we've talked about it, you know, a couple of times here already, but like, that's kind of the essence of what mm-hmm. financial independence is, is really, uh, if you boil it all down, it's really just becoming mindful of your decision making. What really yeah. matters? What doesn't matter? Um, you know, do societal, ma- uh, do societal norms matter to you? If they do, then, you know, fine. But if they don't, like, this is totally you know, like you said, replicable at an early age, if you just have the right mindset early and, you know, 10 years, right. We just kind of completed the decade, but you said from 2009, you started this tracking the amount of money that you guys, you know, just mindfully managed is, you know, exponential, right. That could have just went to the wayside because you weren't focused on it. So it's just super cool to hear how mindful you guys are. Yeah. It's like, I talked to some of my friends from college and I've been slowly starting to like share a little bit of information about our life. Like I talk way more freely on our blog and Instagram to people I don't really know, you know, Um, but I've been slowly talking to some of my friends. Some of my friends get it and they're like on board, which is awesome. Mm -hmm. And one of my friends, for example, like she's just like, what'd you do? You won the lottery? Like that's our immediate thought. And it's like, there's no way. Right. And it's like, no, like, because like, and I understand her point because she's living like 99% of society. Right. So I Mm -hmm. get it, but it's like, no, like we really like in my world, I'm like, we really didn't do anything that crazy, but to most people, like they just cannot fathom, right. Like how this is even possible. And we were in the same situation, you know, we ended school at the same year. And to your point, it is a lot easier. I think for younger people on the housing side of things, if you can continue to live with roommates, that's, that's like strategy number one, right. And it's way easier to do that right out of school when you're used to living with roommates for anyone listening who's in their forties or fifties and has a family that might be harder, but you could still have a roommate at that age. It's going to be harder to adapt when you haven't had a roommate for, you know, 20 years of your life or ever, you know, but it's still doable, but it's so much easier to do for that mindset side of things in your early twenties when you're just getting out of school or, you know, whatever the case may be. So I hope, you know, my hope with all of this, and I'm sure for you guys too, is to like reach an audience where this people like get it right. And like, Mm -hmm. Oh, I can do this. I can apply these. This is not really that much different than what I'm doing the past year or five years of my life. Like I can, I can do this, you know? And so that's like the goal, right. It's like to realize, like, like you said, it's this mindset. It's like figuring out like that these steps are replicable, 
anyone can do it. Like we didn't like day trade. We didn't become the next Snapchat. You know, like we aren't those people. Like we're just mm-hmm. like you're, I don't know, millionaire next door, right? Like yeah. the people who wear like, I don't know, no name t-shirt and shoes that are three years old and a used car. Like that's how we did it. <laughs> you right. know? And like you said, it's the small things that, that really mm-hmm. keep you there. The things that are boring and mundane to most, uh, you just decided in 2009 to, you know, keep up with your Excel sheet. Right? Yeah. And that has guided most of your decision making. Yeah. Uh, but what you just talked about mindset, um, we like the transitioning here. We like to read a lot on this show. Uh, talk to maybe um, a mindset book. We don't even have to go down the business path with it, but like mindset or frugality or something that really aligned you with this cause of financial independence. What what book would that be? Yeah, so for sure, the number one book I would say is Your Money or Your Life by Vicki Robin. Um, she was kind of the quote unquote, I guess, founder, I guess you can say, of the FIRE movement before it was even a movement. You know, back in, I think, the 70s, she wrote this book with her co-author. And it's really just about, and there's an updated version too, um, more recently. Um, but it's really about figuring out that you pay for things with time, not just money. Like that money comes from putting in time at your job or, you know, however you get that money. Right. And you need to figure out like how much time are you putting in towards getting that $150 pair of shoes? And it's not just taking your salary and dividing it by the hours. Like there's way more to it. It's you have to have a car to get you to and from work. You have to pay gas for that car. You have to pay maintenance for that car. You have to wear certain clothes to go to work. That all comes at a cost, right? Like maybe you have to go and take extra courses or do conferences for work that pay come from out of pocket, you know, whatever it may be, you figure out what like your real hourly weight rate is. And then you say, okay, I thought I was making uh, taxes too. Of course, that's a big one. Mm-hmm. I thought I was making, you know, $30 an hour, but really after all is said and done, I'm only making $15 an hour. You know, when you account for all your work-related expenses, you're like, okay, that $150 pair of shoes cost me 10 hours. That's more than a day in the office. Like, mm-hmm. is it worth it? And mm-hmm. People, the answer may be a resounding yes. Some people, it may be a resounding no. And again, I can't tell you what that is. But when you think of things that way, then you really learn, like, is my time in the office worth that expense? And if you love your job, it might be like, well, I don't care. I really like going to work. But are you going to enjoy working for 40 more years, you know, whatever the case may be, you may get a new boss that you hate. You may, uh, you know, your, your company may go under and you end up, you know, with with nothing next tomorrow. And do you have anything saved up for that? You know, it's, it's realizing like there are things out of your control and figuring out like how to maximize the things that you can control. So figuring out the things that you can spend money on and do you value those things? So that was like, that was a really great book. I think it doesn't really talk about, it it does go into some numbers and charts, but it's more so again about the mindset of like, are these things worth it? Is this life energy worth the purchase? Mm Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's such a great book. Uh, do you have a favorite real estate book? Um, I think the biggest thing from real estate that I like the most, it's not a book, but it's, I love Paula Pant and her afford anything podcast and blog. And she now has a course out your first rental property. I think that's what it's called. Yeah. And that would be like, I love her, her voice. I just yeah. love her voice. <laughs> like she's just so calming and everything, but she's done this. Like she's a, I think she's a couple years older than me and she went the real estate route. And so that that's how she made 
like her claim to fame, right? Like she's reached financial independence through real estate. So if you're interested in, uh, there's also bigger podcasts, of course. And, you know, there's the house hacking strategy book now that Craig Kirillop came up with. I have, I'm on hold at the library for it. So I haven't yet read it, but I've heard good things. Um, But I, Paula Pant is for sure. Like she's now kind of morphed, you know, her podcast isn't only on housing, but she does have that course that, Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I would recommend if anyone's interested on, on the housing side of things. Absolutely. She's she's amazing. She's amazing. Yeah. We yeah. genuinely appreciate you coming on today. Uh, but a lot of people I know can really relate to your story, right? You have an incredible story with financial independence, house hacking, the combination of the two, and really like your guys' mindset of uh, like we talked about prioritizing your life, right? And just really becoming mindful of your decision making. Um, so if people want to find out more about you, reach out to you, Maybe they're in Canada or maybe they just want to reach out and, you know, follow you guys. Where can they uh, find out more about you? Yeah. So we have two main ways. Um, our blog is modernfamily.com. So it's a spin on the show, Modern Family, but we've got FI in there for family instead of FA because we've reached financial independence. So right. um, that's our website and our blog, or you can find us on Instagram, which is at modern family. Um, again, the FI piece instead of in the family part. So those are the two ways to reach us. Um, we cover us stuff. We cover Canadian stuff. I'm, you know, I'm a dual citizen. So I, I've lived in both countries at this point. So we have like an investing one-on-one series on our blog. You know, I, we try again, it's like about the mindset. So we try right. and really focus on that. Um, but we also, you you know, we dig into numbers too. We show our net worth, you know, we, we try and be as transparent as we can. So, um, that's, those are the best two ways to find us. Yeah. Awesome. Well, we really, really appreciate you coming on the show. I mean, I I'm really inspired just listening to you guys' story and what you've been <laughs> able to do traveling around, traveling around the world, living in two different countries, um, combining the real estate aspect with the financial independence and being very mindful and, and very, you know, prioritizing your life, not becoming a family of four, like, we uh, we love you guys' story. We're inspired by you guys all the time. And so we appreciate you coming on. Yeah, thanks so much for having me on. This has been a lot of fun. Good. Yeah, thank you, Courtney. Yeah, right, sure right. thing. You have a great day. Me too. Thanks for listening. If you could do me a huge favor and go give us a five-star rating on iTunes, I would really appreciate it. It would really help us out. If we provided any value, please go do that. Otherwise, there's a lot of people who haven't subscribed So go ahead and go subscribe and you'll get notifications when a new podcast episode is released. Thanks again, everyone. Have a great day.